Welcome to another episode of 699 per pound podcast we usually uh talk about careers but in this social distance world that we are currently living in we decided to uh shift our focus to the very real impact of uh COVID-19 that's you know having on everybody especially Asians in this country and around the world uh so this very special series we decided to call it last call um so for one of our first Actually, this is our second guest, right, Jojo? Yeah. For the Last Call series, shout out to Ivy. Uh, hey. Her episode is currently out right now, so you could check that out. Um, so yeah, we uh, part of this Last Call series. Uh, we decided to uh, uh, introduce and bring in, bring about people that have actually experienced this um, in mainland China. So we felt like it's very important to tell these stories because the virus might infect everyone, but it has had a very disproportionate impact on Asian communities. So we're going to bring you perspectives of Asians in different professions and places to give you a very personal look at how this virus became more than a symptom, not just on the body, but on the mind and just culturally as well. So uh, much love to all the fans. That's a gem from Ivy herself. Word up. That's a gem for Ivy. So mm -hmm. thank you for all the fans for the continuous support. Please subscribe to uh, get all please subscribe to get more information on COVID-19 related episodes make sure to tell a friend to tell a friend in a socially distant way and uh, you can now support us by paying buying me and Jojo a three dollar coffee at <laughs> Kofi K-O-F-I.com slash 699 per pound and uh, you can also uh, still set up a monthly donation at anchor.fm 699 per pound slash support uh, one of our latest contributors is also a friend and a guest of the podcast. Much love to Seth's Cheeks for the generous donation on the pod. So with that said, um, we have two very special guests that are currently on right now. Uh, they're coming live and direct from you. Uh, 14 hours. Is it 14 hours away right now? 12. Guests? 12. 12 okay 12 <laughs> hours away they're, they're currently they're currently recording they're currently recording this podcast all the way in beijing china you know what i'm saying um jojo do you want to take it away introduce these two young ladies sure so echoing everything that jakey said about how this this corona this world pandemic has really shifted our focus a little bit and it started with ivy who is obviously building this amazing reboot project for wuhan and from that conversation she started introducing um so many people young people like ourselves from all over the world who are collectively part of this effort and as Jakey masterfully said in different ways from culture from business from all these things and we were introduced to Rachel Zhang and Nan Lu from Ivy so shouts to her again about what it is like to live in Beijing during COVID-19 um, so we're uh, walking through a time difference right now it's night for us me and Jakey and morning for Rachel and Nan um, both of them actually are uh, lived in New York at some time and moved to Beijing. 
And in light of Corona, Rachel actually decided to start a Chinese language podcast with her fellow podcasters with Nan. So we wanted to just get a really close look at um, content creators and people who are really trying to uplift other people from the comfort of their own bedroom and show solidarity in this confusing time. So thank you so much, Rachel and Nan, for waking up early for us. <laughs> Um, we really truly thank you and I'm really excited to hear especially because you guys are a few months out of um, from the quarantine I feel like New Yorkers and um, Americans are just starting to hit that two-week mark and hitting that cabin mm -hmm. fever hitting that um, stage of when will this end as um, people who've gone through it and are still going through yeah. it we're so excited for you to share just like your advice and insight and personal stories to get us through this. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Really excited to be here. Uh, we have been, yeah, we have been talking about this conversation between ourselves, between our guests on the podcast. So it's definitely, you know, rewarding to have the opportunity to talk to the other side of the world, what we have been going through. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, before we really get into it, could you introduce yourselves so our um, listeners can familiarize your voice um, with the names? Oh, yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Rachel. Uh, I am born and raised in Beijing. So I, about last July, I come back from New York uh, to to Beijing, to my hometown, and uh, I work as a journalist. Uh, so my focus is writing about the culture and business in China um, to the Western world, uh, which is has been a really interesting journey. And uh, yeah, I, I love to be here. Yeah. Dan? Hi, everyone. Yeah, just want to echo what Rachel said earlier. Big, big thank you for inviting us, Jojo and Jakey. And um, yeah, such a um, yeah, such a treat to be able to do this with you guys and connect from across the world. It, it really gives me chills thinking that it is Friday night in New York and Saturday morning in Beijing, and we got connected because of COVID nineteen. And hopefully <laughs> that um, our time together will I don't know share more hope and. Um, for information to more people out there. So thank you so much for creating this space together. Um, and I am Nan, and Rachel and I met through a high school exchange program that we were both a part of, and I was a few years before her. Um, so I'm based in Beijing right now, um, and I have uh, also just came back to Beijing. Uh, oh, and I grew up over here, and I have just came back to Beijing, like Rachel, last year, at the end of last year. Um, after having been abroad, uh, mostly in the U.S. for the last 15 years or so. Uh, so it, it's been a really big transition coming home. And I feel like I had maybe two or three months of freedom before I went into the COVID-19 self-quarantine situation. So I actually cannot wait to get out there uh, when this is all over and explore my city again. Um, and, um, I spend most of my, most of my day, uh, working with and leading a nonprofit called the Coaching Fellowship. Uh, our team is based in the U.S. How did you guys, uh, you know, you guys are, you guys have been friends since like your school days, but how did you guys, uh, put together your podcast, Free as a Bird? 
That's yeah, the name of the so, podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> it could be now that you talk about it. Um, so we we started a podcast during the virus because we have always been having the conversation about like we love our conversations and like every time I talk to Nan, I feel personally inspired. Mm-hmm. So I was like, how can I spread that energy to other people, like to the my friend circle? Um, and because of COVID-19 hit at such a like surprising moment and like at such a fast speed. So we, we were like locked down, you know, for after Chinese New Year. And it just like, yeah, it just feels like very sudden and somewhat like scary, shocking, you know, mixed feelings. And because we can't like physically, we can't go anywhere. So we were just trying to create a space where we can explore like uh, spiritually, mentally, um, and just like a, a free space for us. So that's kind of how like the intention <laughs> is started. Uh, but then going on about it, I think the central theme of the podcast is that no matter how chaotic the outside world is, whether it's the virus, whether it's, you know, like anything, the trade war, everything, um, we want to have that space where everyone can grow, everyone can focus on themselves and remain stale in a chaotic time so that's kind of the intention and none feel free uh anything to add yeah yeah i'll just add to what rachel said um it it really started so the the virus i mean the um covid19 shutdown in wuhan and then kind of throughout china happened at the end of january so january 23rd was the official day when wuhan went into lockdown and then that was right at the beginning of chinese new year celebration which normally would last a week and then because of the situation, the New Year, the official New Year celebration got extended. Um, so the, or it wasn't necessarily a celebration. It was at that point, like the New Year break. Um, so the country wa- was in um, the Chinese New Year, basically holiday uh, break time for two weeks in total. And then after that, a number of companies started to um, wanting to get back online to start working again. And um, at that time, it was still not really possible for people to go back to the, to the office or the factories. So companies started trying to figure out ways to um, get their teams back online to work from home. And, um, and then we saw opportunity there because Rachel and I have been, uh, because we co- collaborate with our teams in the U.S., so we have been working from home um, in Beijing. And I have been working from home for over five years at this point and have had a lot of experience with that. And then Rachel and I were talking about even before um, everything was happening, we were talking about that uh, working work, working from home is not as easy as people think. And it takes a lot of, yeah, I'm sure that you, you guys and the listeners now uh, have uh, a really good sense of what that's like and what the challenges are and also what um, possibilities it brings. So we thought, okay, because we have this experience and we can share with people and I hopefully help people help hopefully help people um we should just talk about that so that's really when we started the podcast and um yeah for the first four episodes we talked with different people who have experience with working from home looking at it from different angles sharing different tips and um yeah and it it, um it was well received amongst at least friends 
So that's one. one. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a awesome. practical reason yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. And then we spend all to be more, yeah, free social lifestyle. Yeah. Mm. Got you, got you. So yeah, I mean, if anything, we started this whole series because of this crisis. So usually, you know, th- because of crisis, there's usually the positive that comes from it. You know, rise from the ashes. So on that note, though, um, mm-hmm. since we are here to talk specifically about COVID nineteen, um, when and where did you guys first hear about COVID nineteen? Uh, yeah. So I first heard about it is when I traveling from Hong Kong to Beijing. On a train where literally a friend texted me on the phone, he's like, "Oh, watch out for this!" And I didn't know what was going on. Um, but I've like read articles where people are like buying masks because of you know the virus is going on. Um, and so I, out of precaution, like I hit the airport uh, shop to check out mask and to my surprise like the counter the people working counter she told me it's all sold out like the i think the n90 n95 yeah the fancy one <laughs> yeah so, yeah. I was so, like, so quick oh, question quick question when yeah. around what time when, when was this like in january that was yeah that was end of january before chinese new year got you got you i would say january 20th if I recall correctly. Understood. Yeah. So yeah, about the mask. And then it hit me like, oh, it's actually more serious. So and then I bought, I bought a mask and then get on the travel, the flight and seeing everyone. Most of the people are wearing masks, which I was kind of surprised. Um, and then I come back, have Chinese New Year with family, friends for like one day. And then after that, I'm staying with my parents at my parents' house. Uh, it happened really quickly, and it was, it was, yeah, it was unexpected. Yeah. What about you, Nan? Um, yeah, I can't recall the exact moment when I had heard about COVID nineteen, and I remember seeing like scanning through um, headlines about something that was happening in Wuhan. I didn't pay much attention into it, and that was probably yet right around when Rachel. Uh, had mentioned like before Chinese New Year. And I think it was, it really all blew up and then started making a lot more sense um, maybe two days before Chinese New Year. And I remember this because um, at that time my mom was visiting me um, and then she was staying with me at my apartment. And, and then she, and then we were doing New Year's shopping because she was going to go travel to our, um, to another province where my grandparents are to visit my grandpa. And so we were doing shopping for her to get ready to travel. And she was traveling on New Year's, she was scheduled to travel on New Year's Day. And I remember just the two days leading up to that, we were starting to get more information. And then we were uh, trying to decide, okay, should my mom still travel to visit grandpa or should she stay? And it was just so unclear. And at the end, she, um, she left because, you know, she had prepared all these things and it was going to be my grandpa's 90th birthday, um, at the end of the New Year celebration. So she ended up going. And I remember scrambling to try to figure out where I can get masks for her so that she can get on the flight and protect mm-hmm. herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind of the experience of. Um, yeah. learning yeah. like letting the COVID-19 situation start to sink in mm-hmm. yeah. that's crazy because I think 
we kind of digested this for uh, in in different speeds, right? I think all of us kind of in when it was first confronted, were debating like, am I making too big of a deal? Like, am I contributing to the hysteria? But at the other hand, being like, but it seems really real. I don't want to not take it seriously. So it's kind of, you know, refreshing to hear that you guys felt the exact same way too, of just like, is it, is it not? Do we, you know, um, because it, sometimes it kind of felt like, oh man, like we're getting, you know, all these warnings from different countries, like, you know, Italy and, and Spain of just being like, hey, if I could, you know, travel back in time and tell myself something 10 days ago I would have said this I think it was like a really common thing that all of us went through absolutely I think um that it was tremendously it was tremendously chaotic and confusing the the first few days because and as we mentioned so many times now it hit right around Chinese New Year Wuhan went into lockdown and on January 23rd and Chinese New Year's Eve was January 24th. So when Wuhan went to the went into lockdown, there were a lot more information coming out online. And um, besides the actual lockdown, there were no necessarily official announcement about, you know, what it was and what were other plans besides Wuhan went into the lockdown. And I remember sitting at home with my mom trying to, we were both looking on our phones, trying to figure out what the heck is going on because she's traveling the next yeah. day. And um, and then for Chinese New Year's Eve, there's this really big TV um, uh, celebration on TV uh, that's uh, broadcasted by basically the official um, Chinese media. And, yeah, CCTV, um, then, right? Exactly. Yeah, that yeah, New Year celebration. Yep, yep. Yep. For it's been I don't know it's been going on for twenty thirty years. I grew yeah, up yeah. with they, that. They, they, yeah, and they do it like they do it so big. You know, like the thing about Chinese people and their TV celebrations, man. God, yeah. they got so many people. Yo, like they do one martial art performance. They got like a thousand kids in coordination doing sword dancing <laughs> and all that. It's nuts. It's like the opening <laughs> ceremony it's, it's of the Olympics, simple. except way more epic. No, but exactly. They do it <laughs> no. every other month. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. it's crazy. But um, but I mean, um, I think I think one thing that we want to kind of also hear from you guys is that, you know, uh, you know, Nan, you just mentioned that. You, you guys were expecting to watch this on TV, but you're, you're seeing all these updates on social media that, yo, like Wuhan is in lockdown. Um, right. But right. knowing, yeah, so knowing like, knowing like the older generation probably doesn't use the internet as much, like doesn't have social media exactly. as much. Like yeah. how was the news being like relayed on official media? Like was the CCTV make very transparent, um, like relay transparent updates for the people. So that's mm -hmm. that's exactly what I was trying to get at was the celebration because that is one thing that everybody would watch um, mm. on New Year's Eve. So I was I don't normally want to watch it and I don't pay attention to it at all. But that night, I decided to just leave it on TV and wait to see what kind of announcements that they're going to make because if they're going to make any kind of an official announcement for the whole country, that's where they're going to make it. And they did have 
like segments of it, like the host, the TV host mentioned about uh, what's happening in Wuhan, and then like our solidarity goes to Wuhan, Wuhan, Jiayou, mm-hmm. like go Wuhan, like keep, Going. keep mm-hmm. well, and our yeah, our heart goes to the medical professionals and and all of that, and they like I waited for the whole show, and they didn't necessarily um, like the celebration went on, and that was so odd because at least at that moment I felt. I felt confused and I felt scared and, and I was waiting to see what they were going to, you know, what they were going to tell us, but they didn't necessarily say anything during the celebration, which in a way I can't understand because it is New Year's Eve. And I, if I were them, I would feel like really tricky about how Mm -hmm. to make that announcement during this big celebration too. Yeah, for sure. You don't um, want to freak out the whole country, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So they didn't make it super, super clear, but they did um, mention about it and address it a little bit through more like, let's stay in solidarity. Um, I think the more mm-hmm. official announcements came later during the new year. Rachel, do you remember anything about this? Yeah, I I think I was just surprised that they rehearsed it and no one was wearing a mask. <laughs> I was like kind of internal, like panicking <laughs> because yeah. I was like, it's like a mask new. gathering. <laughs> like, and we don't know when the virus started, but like it could start beyond that. Um, so how do they protect themselves? I know that mm-hmm. I remember I had like a fleeting thought. Oh my God. That's how I feel when <laughs> yeah. I'm like walking out into the park um, it, the weather has been pretty nice in New York, actually. And I was like, I'll just go for a stroll yeah. like while social distancing. Yeah. I was like, um, there's too many people here. I can't socially distance. And I'm like internally freaking out also, like wanting Aww. to be like, go home or like wear a mask. It, it's, so I, I can't imagine like seeing it on TV and being like, um, yeah. uh, in two weeks, I hope they're still okay. So with, with, I mean, so you just said that the biggest TV moment in the year for uh for the chinese people they didn't make any official announcement about this uh this imminent crisis that was going to hit everybody and affect everybody so when did um when was it that the government was like all right cool yo this is this Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) this is some serious shit like we can't hide this anymore like this is getting out of control we have to take very uh, drastic measures to let everybody know what's going on. Like when did this ha- when when did those official announcements start um, taking place? I honestly I can't pinpoint a time. I think it's after the day of Chinese New Year Eve. I remember. So it was like on like, the twenty sixth, like right after Chinese New Year. Something like that. What What about you, Nan? Can you pinpoint a specific time? I think because I don't watch TV and I was getting all my information online. And um, I think that I don't, so I don't really know what kind of announcements they made on TV. I do remember that because we, Mm -hmm. Rachel and I um, both lived through SARS being in Beijing in school. Um, I remember at that time, um, yeah, they they took a really different approach this time, which is so interesting because during mm-hmm. SARS, they played on TV like twenty four seven nonstop um, about the situation, and and oh, then, so I think everybody, yeah, I think everybody like they updated the number like constantly, and then they had experts talking about it, and then they had news reporting on it, and 
But I guess like not everybody had a smartphone at that time, so the t- TV was like pretty much the, the only, only source of information. Way. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think when um yeah when COVID nineteen started spreading in Wuhan in the country, everybody was kind of mm-hmm. waiting to see when that's gonna happen on TV, and it never really happened. Um, and I remember my mom saying that if they're not doing this on TV, it must be not as serious mm-hmm. as SARS, right? Um, and then that was clearly not true. Um, and um, yeah, so I think I was getting my most of my information online. And I remember, and then there were so much information. Um, I think they started updating the official numbers maybe two or three days into the new year, maybe earlier. But I think I started seeing, I pinned the page on my phone for the official numbers being updated just 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 for like the all the listeners i mean when um when nan says new year we're talking about the lunar new year you know what i mean we don't follow the barbaric calendar of the westerners you know what i'm saying (laughs) we follow the traditional calendar that our ancestors has created five thousand years ago all right right so Okay, so let's go back into it. Uh, Jojo, I know you wanted to ask something. I mean, yeah, I kind of wanted to... So all of this is happening. Um, you know, these announcements are being made and it's kind of teetering away. But if you could kind of bring our listeners to like your day-to-day of when things start to shut down, right? Like, can you just walk us through what um, your every single day look like? And I know that the way Beijing and China has responded to this was a lot different, is a lot different from how we're dealing with it in that the local governments and the the national government seem to have had a more um, heavy hand in um dealing in like interacting with the citizens and to making sure people were staying inside and making sure the quarantine was actually being executed. Could you walk us through that experience and how it might've been super different from, you know, if it was in New York? Uh, I think when we were taught to minimize our uh, outing. So I think I was just like staying at home working because I mean, that's how I have been since I come back from uh, New York. So it didn't feel like that big of a change, honestly. But I remember, yeah, my dad, he has to visit my grandma like every other day. So I remember like we are being like actual conscious about that because uh, elderly are the high risk people. So we all like kind of trying to stay in just for the sake of, oh, you know, not passing on to my grandma by accident or um, just like a high awareness, I think uh, going out and then uh, and then I live with my parents. So they do most of the grocery shopping and everything. And while I was staying at home, Mm -hmm. it was pretty painful at first, knowing that you can't like you have to watch out every time you go out. in terms of like all the surface you might have to touch and uh, wearing mask, keep distance from each other. So I think the first week it was pretty hard and it feels like there's no distinguish between the weekend and the week. Like every day is about the same long days <laughs> locked inside. It was pretty depressing at first for me. Um, 
Yeah. No, yeah. I, I totally feel you in that. Just a quick note. And I was, I think I'm hitting that kind of sad stage, as you know, you guys are mentioning. Um, I read that, I read this um, Harvard Business Review article about how the feeling that we're feeling right now during this time is grief. And in this article, it kind of walk you through the stages of grief um, in the lens of Corona, right? And the first stage, and it doesn't have to be linear, but the first stage is denial of like, this isn't happening. This can't be happening. Um, the second stage um, could be anger of like, why am I, you know, at being asked to stay inside? Like, why does my wedding have to be canceled? Like, why can't I do this? And then you get through the stage of bargaining where, Oh, it's not that bad or it'll be over it can't last forever and then you enter the stage of um, sadness where you're like will this ever end like are, are we going to just stay inside forever and that hopelessness and the goal is for you to reach acceptance of like i can't control it i accept it here's what i can do but getting there takes so, such a long time so yeah, I really resonate with that. Uh, in a sense that now the situation in Beijing is recovering and things are looking better. Yeah. Let's say the worst is over, knock on wood. But then again, <laughs> I have a lot of friends uh, back in New York and also all my coworkers are mostly in New York. Mm-hmm. It feels like a second wave where I experience the similar um, emotions that you talk about. Yeah, and I felt somewhat hopeless at times to their situation because here like it's on me you know i have family friends and we're going through this together but they're so far away i have like friend just you know have just pregnant and at home Mm -hmm. and i'm not there and i just feel so like sometimes so hopeless um knowing that the situation in the u.s is not gonna get any better and is worsening day by day yeah right Right. So, I mean, with that said, I mean, you know, you, I think you kind of raised a very interesting, I mean, a good point that it, the, the situation in the U.S. Uh, essentially just uh, just mm-hmm. started, you know, like this is this is our second week going. Um, and uh, I, from from at least what I read uh, from reports and this kind of uh, is it also happens in South Korea, which is right next to China, which was essentially the second major country that got hit with this um <clears throat> virus on a mass scale uh the local government and uh management companies uh of buildings from at least what i read was that they would set up tests in the front of entrances to check uh temperature uh you know you know like the deliveries or uh, shipments would only be uh distributed in one location so that everybody could come and congregate to pick up instead of having like door-to-door uh you know deliveries and there were a lot Mm -hmm. of like measures that were being taken in these countries to uh, prevent the spread and you know like while COVID-19 initially hit South Korea which was about I believe like a little more than a month ago um even though like the the numbers were increasing drastically like all my friends in Korea and Seoul they were still going to work yeah but they were going to work with heavy masks they were going to work where you know, in front of their building, they all had to get their temperature checked um, and so on and so forth. So curious to know, like, what were some like immediate uh, measures that the local community, the Chinese government has taken uh, when this whole crisis really started to hit beyond Mm -hmm. Wuhan? 
Absolutely. Um, over time, a lot of pretty serious uh, measures have been put into place. And in the very beginning, um, I remember the first thing that I noticed, uh, which was hard not to notice, was New Year's Eve. Um, and I was just waking up and then uh, we got a knock on the door um, from our local community workers who represent basically the local district like our local neighborhood district. So Beijing um, is pretty big and then it has the bigger official districts. And then within each district, um, there's smaller community neighborhoods that um, are also counted as like, a, they have an official jurisdiction title. And um, there's like, clear organization of how that works. Um, so yes, yeah, so our local community worker came over, knocked basically door, um, door by door to check on whether anyone in the family has had any relatives visiting from Wuhan or Hubei, or anyone has traveled to Wuhan or Hubei in the last 14 days, or at least at, at that point, it wasn't necessarily 14 days. The 14 day thing wasn't um, that clear at that time. Um, yeah, just anyone has traveled to Hubei or Wuhan recently. Um, and, uh, and then ask if anybody has cold symptoms or have been sick. Um, and of course we didn't have any of that. So that was really easy. And they didn't necessarily tell us exactly what's going on. They're just saying that, oh yeah, I'm sure that you guys have heard about the outbreak in Wuhan. We're just taking preventative measures over here. Uh, and then if you, um, know anyone or notice anyone who have traveled from Wuhan or have been to Wuhan, please you know, report to your local community. Oh, and shit. So, so they were yeah. basically like on some like police, police neighborhood watch type of situation where they're like, yo, if you know anybody from that terrain, yo, make sure to holler right away. <laughs> you know, like in yeah, a way, you know, yeah, in a way yeah. it was kind of like it, they, I guess it's like societal Jojo, maybe you could comment on this too, but I think, in America, just like the way that the system works, like they have all these privacy laws and they have all these, um, you know, mm -hmm. things that you can't really put out there. Mm -hmm. And people have this sense of like, it's, I, I honestly think it's a sense of false security because yo, like if you're on Facebook, all your info was out there regardless, but Americans right. have this idea like, yo, like, you know, who, who are you to know about my information? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating to me that, a government official or a community official would go door to door and ask like, yo, have you met anybody from Wuhan? And it wasn't like the police. It wasn't like anybody did anything wrong, but they were just out there like collecting information like that. That's, that's very interesting. It, I don't think that would, that would have happened in the U S what do you think, Jojo? I don't think so either. I mean, even like when we get emails, um, I've, I've seen a couple emails from my friends being like, um, it's been come to our attention that someone from our building on the 63rd floor had, you know, COVID, but they will never say who it is or what department because it's like they want to be respectful of their privacy. But it's, and it could be a lawsuit, exactly, you know? and totally. But then for us, it's like, um, I work on that floor, like, um, I want to know if I interacted with this dead exactly. person. Yeah, exactly. And just, yeah. But, so it's definitely yeah. something that it, it confused me here, but that might have been way taken more seriously, more transparently 
other places but in the u.s there's definitely that shush shush like you know don't poke into people's business like mm-hmm. we can take care of it kind of sense <laughs> so i agree with you jakey yeah. it's so different yeah I think people voluntarily give their information out because they right. know this way can be protected. Like other people can be protected, they can be protected. Um, so I wouldn't say it's like a sacrifice on privacy, but it's like it's so yeah, important. I don't think to people track. see it. Like yeah, it's yeah. so important to track like where the virus goes and really take that measure down to one individual. Like even my dad, like his company is like, oh, you gotta update us on your family situation like my my dad my mom's company and the building like there's like a three-layer checkup and it's like very rigorous i think for the best reason and in that way i feel safe exactly Um, yeah yeah got you i was just gonna say that when i um when i heard like when i saw the official doing that i exactly like rachel said i felt safe i felt that um my well-being and my health is being very thoroughly protected and i didn't necessarily feel like it's a sacrifice of privacy um that um yeah that if i if i had been to wuhan or hubei i would volunteer that information because uh, or I, if anyone in my family had done that i would volunteer that information too i so I mean, I've mentioned this on the podcast multiple times, but I lived in China as a kid. Like I I was living in Nanjing for three years. Um, And, you know, when people think communism, they think, at at least in America, there's still a lot of people when they think communism, they think like dictatorship. Like they don't know that they don't understand the difference of how those two uh, ideologies work. Um, But I think one thing that I really thought was interesting and different uh, between um, parts of Asia, especially China and America, is what you guys just mentioned, like the sense of collective whole, like in China, like mm-hmm. the the sense of community, like the, the people, you know, they say People's Republic of China is like the people comes first, like we have to be together as a people. Um, of course, there's obviously wealth gap, there's obviously corruption anywhere you go, but the sense Absolutely. of community is so deeply embedded in the cultural DNA that I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, even the way that you guys have taken the the, the, the measures, uh, the immediate reactionary measures to this crisis is so different than America. Because in America, like at least in New York, like, you know, I've, I've heard people screaming out like, yo, this is a fascist mm-hmm. regime if you're going to tell me to stay home. <laughs> like, you know, how can you yeah. tell me to close my restaurant? Yeah. Like, you know, like I'm going to go outside regardless. Like, you know, I don't care. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like there's this sense of individualism that, you know, they're mm-hmm. like me first. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this sense of me mm-hmm. first that I feel like, you know, if when it comes down to certain things like uh, showcasing your talent, um, I think it's great. But when it comes down to a situation like this, where we need to all come together as a community, it's fucking whack. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I go to the park go and I see kids playing mm-hmm. basketball and I was like, yo, what the fuck is y'all doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> go the fuck home, yeah, you man. Know, I think if that happened in China, and it did, you know, in the yeah, early days, there were definitely people that- It's hard um, to persuade people. Right, like, yeah, that didn't want to parents. stay home. Yeah, exactly. And, but then, you know, it's 
it's the collectivism and the group mentality over here that, you know, I, I live in my apartment and I can see mm. into the courtyard of our complex and it's clear that nobody's out. And yeah. if there's one person out and then if that person is not wearing a mask, out? exactly, you stand yeah. out big time and you can count <laughs> on somebody is going to go up to tell you that you should either exactly. go home or wear a mask. See, that's um, what I'm saying. Like, you know, like I, I, you know, I live on a second floor and I have a balcony. I see, I look outside. I see mm-hmm. kids running around with no mask on, like, like there's nothing going on yeah. and I want to yell at them. I want to, you know, if this was like in Asia, like I'll be like, yeah, yeah you would go home. Yeah. You know, like I would do that. But like in yeah. America, I can't do that to somebody's <laughs> kid. You know what I'm saying? Nope. Like, yeah, yeah so I wouldn't do that either out. if I were in the mm-hmm. US. Nah, 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 yeah. nah. It's it's so interesting. Sorry, can I just add one more thing? Yes, we yes, spoke please. With, yeah, we spoke with uh, on our podcast. We invited a um, social psychologist uh, from Stanford, mm-hmm. one of uh, our friend, and it's interesting how she look at this dynamic from like a sociology perspective, um, in terms of how like both countries have like set up this like war of protection to a moral mm-hmm. ground mm-hmm, where, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't wear a mask in China, it's like you're not taking care of other people and you're selfish. Right. But mm. whereas in the U.S., it's like, why do you wear a mask? You're endangering people because there are viruses all around your mask. Um, and it's just so fascinating that culture, like differences have come to such a heightened uh, level and I'm just amazed. <laughs> uh, and I, it's, I, I mean, yeah. To, to, to your point, Rachel, I feel like, you know, the Asian people were right. I mean, we're always right, but I think the Asian people were especially <laughs> right on this one because I'm going to tell you right the, like, like right now, like a month ago, um, if an Asian person walked around New York with a mask on, uh, people looked at them like crazy. Like they were like, yo, you yeah. got the disease. And, you know, there were so many cases where people were getting hit, like they were getting beat by like random people for wearing a mask like certain people were scared to even wear masks in the street because they don't want to be targeted but now yeah. you come to new york city now shit everybody wants a mask you know what i'm saying oh, like they're right. just like yo right. we, we need to get masks and you know i was like well yeah. too bad motherfucker you know what i'm saying <laughs> uh, yeah no i we talked about this a little bit with ivy but that it's it's definitely become a target right because we're not a homogenous mm-hmm. society you know we're we have so many people who look different um walking down the street and if you're you know noticeably asian and you're wearing a mask it just makes you a target you know people look at you um culturally not, you know you alluded to how um you know wearing a mask was like kind of for the greater good and the common good and service of others in china but then here it's more like individual protection um in america like no protect yourself from others um I think it just completely, like, as Jakey and everybody talked about, just reveals so much about these two different ideologies. You know, not to, like, bash. I mean, mm-hmm. we are kind of bashing one over the other at this point. But, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, but it, it totally <laughs> makes sense. Like, my mom was just, like, so conflicted when she's like, I want to tell you to wear a mask but i'm seeing all these videos and i'm scared like maybe you can wear a scarf instead and you know she was trying to think of all these things (laughs) to like help me and it just sucked that she had to think about that and that we had to think about that 
Definitely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Where is the freedom of wearing a mask? <laughs> wait, wait, what did you say? <laughs> she oh, said, where's, said the, where's the freedom? freedom to wear a mask no it's i mean rachel to that point i mean it's a free country uh as long as if you could wear a mask the way that you want to wear it yo by all means by the way i actually have a psa that we posted on 6.99 per pound instagram page <laughs> which which you could check out on how to wear a mask because okay. uh, i was a person who didn't job. even know how to wear a mask <laughs> properly so uh okay. check that out when you get a chance but uh i mean so i think just just to move forward like you know like what what were some of the um uh government you know funded well not funded but like what were some of the measures that the government uh init uh put into place uh mm -hmm. during this crisis like was was the government involved in telling the companies like yo like tell your employees to work from home was it like yes, did did the employers yeah. just kind of did it on their own accord or uh, and when the economy, I'm sure because the economy must have been affected drastically because not everybody mm -hmm. work in front of a laptop. Like some people have to be physically exactly. moving. And if yeah. it's going to be a mass, uh, a mass mm -hmm. social distancing effort, like there's going to be no economy for those type of jobs, you know? So right. what were some mm -hmm. of the measures that the government decided to take place, uh, uh, put into action during this time of crisis for China? Yeah, I re I'm reporting on the business of fashion in, you know, consumption consumption trends in China. So, uh, there are quite a few like fashion business are infected because, um, you know, like they have to get cash flow, like a healthy cash flow, and now the production is halt, and uh, you know, supply chain and logistics all kind of cut off. So it's like suddenly they're hopeless and they don't have cash and they can't employ people. So I know there are cases like that, but I also realized that I think pretty early on, government were giving out small uh, business loans, um, which for me was like pretty reactive and like fast uh, reaction. Um, and that kind of stuck with me how the government uh, reacted to the economic impact. Yeah, and I um, I did not look into the policies or um, measures that they took into place to support businesses, but I do know that, like Rachel said, a lot of the factories, um, supply chain related businesses have definitely suffered because they just couldn't open factory. Yeah. And, and I mentioned this earlier that the first measure, like the very you know, countrywide uh, measure that the government took was extending the Chinese holiday by one more week. And mm. um, oh, yeah. and then yeah. everybody was waiting to see, okay, is it going to get extended again? Um, and then another measure yeah. that the uh, central government and local governments uh, took into place is shutting down schools. Uh, and then yeah. it happened that it we got lucky in a way that it happened mm -hmm. during Chinese New Year. So um, people were home anyways, and schools were closed anyway. So we kind of mm -hmm. got a head start with that. But it was when it was time for school and businesses to open again, the government made very decisive uh, choice to keep everything shut down. Yeah. And and then when it was finally time that, okay, it's impossible to keep everything just shut forever, um, I think the government made it really clear to businesses that if you can have your employees work from home, do that. Um, yeah. 
And then, yeah, and then as much as I think people think that Chinese mm. central government makes all the decisions, that's actually not the case. Um, it was a very educational experience for me, at least, having been away from China for so long and then experiencing this um, uh, for the first time that, uh, or in the first hand, that uh, I learned that different city and provincial governments make their own decisions too. So uh, in the very early days, um, there's a, a response, a, I guess, disaster response system in China. Mm-hmm. And there's like level three response, level two response, level one response. And it was fascinating to see that different provinces um, and cities were going at different speeds uh, in terms mm-hmm. of what kind of uh emergency or disaster uh, level they were going to announce and so there were like one beijing Mm -hmm. shanghai and a number of cities decided to go level one which is the highest level um Mm -hmm. other neighboring provinces were like online people online were urging their government to like what are we waiting for let's go level one already also um but then yeah and then i didn't realize that okay so local provincial and city governments actually make their own decisions on stuff like that um yeah and then what else oh i wanted to ask you guys so this is i thought this was um super fascinating that um this is i think uh of course a uh, joint effort of, uh, I think, tech companies and uh, the government because the tech companies can't really get the data without the government. Um, but the, um, the 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 maps of where um, infected or COVID nineteen patients uh, are located or where they've been um, got marked on maps pretty quickly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in Beijing, I think even during Chinese New Year, I was able to check on um, my maps um, yeah, app for sure. to see yeah. if um, my neighborhood has any, like how many cases are in my neighborhood. And yeah. then which, they, they won't tell you the exact address, but they would mark like mm-hmm. in like a red or green sign um, of like the, the district or the local neighborhood that uh, that there has been a COVID-19 case. And I don't think, is there anything like that in the U.S.? And then it kind of goes back to the privacy thing that we were talking about earlier, I think. Actually, I believe there is a, a, there is a a map like that in the U.S. I don't know to what degree, like, uh, uh, how, how like detailed it is. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there, there Mm -hmm. is some sort of a map like that. I mean, hopefully people could actually look at the map and stay the fuck home, but cause Brooklyn actually (laughs) has like the highest concentration of, COVID-19 cases now in the United States. So, oh, wow. mm-hmm. yeah. 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 I do know that, um, and this is like, I, I can't name what company or name who it is, but I do know people who are being hired to uh, project manage this effort, mm-hmm. um, partnering with local government, municipal governments, and gathering like a crap ton of data scientists to start making this map for the yeah. White House. Mm-hmm. Um so I do believe it, it might be happening, but I just don't know the scale and mm-hmm. um, at what stage it's going to be. But I do think this is something that I think a lot of companies are doing it. I think companies like my company or um, other huge companies, they might do it on their own. Like, mm-hmm. you know, different offices mm-hmm. might report and say, oh, like this person 
um, you know, here are the top five people that they used to work with. And like, so yeah. they're potentially infected. And like, mm-hmm. um, so they'll do it in the level that they can because they have a lot more access to their employees um, in terms of data. But like nationwide, um, I don't think it's been in earnest yet. I've been telling my friends this, but it's just this uh, epidemic, I think, has been such a humbling experience for the human race mm-hmm. in that yeah. we think we're, you know, the most technologically advanced, we're innovators, like yeah. humans change the world. But, you know, in 2020, you know, this this virus, you know, <laughs> these particles, right, um, have completely changed our livelihoods yeah. and there's no company that is acting in in like the fast enough or no technology that we've invented that's like halting this force of nature literally so i think it's it truly truly is humbling and like a reminder or that we're not all that <laughs> and these things are gonna happen now for sure i mean if yeah. you think about it like the entire uh, history of earth you know we're like millions and millions of you know living things have been living here for millions of years but the human history is only what like six thousand years you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. we're like a tiny fraction of what this earth has has been going through but speaking of earth china and community <laughs> um, one china thing, community one, one thing that i wanted to ask was um i mean i kind of want to go back into the sense of like uh, collectivism, like the, mm-hmm. the the collective nature of coming when, together. Yeah, when shit hits the fan, like people just kind of <laughs> come together. Enemy. Yeah, yeah, common enemy that is the disease and is an invisible disease. And uh, you know, I remember somebody telling me that yo, like when um this thing happened, like yo, uh, officials in Wuhan order people to create a hospital in like two weeks or something. Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, you know, um, yeah, yeah, if you could kind of break down about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard about the news, I think on TV, um, where the government start showing footage of how they build like those, um, uh, I guess temporary hospitals in Wuhan. Yeah. So it was. And in addition to that, I think the transparency was pretty amazing. Like, um, explain on that. Was, what, what do you mean? Uh, the government was uh, live streaming mm-hmm. on different live streaming platforms of just the progress every day, and there were like millions of people watching it every day because they're at home, they're bored, and they want to be a part of it. Uh, it so was what pretty the f- amazing. This shit was like some Sim City. Like people were just watching a <laughs> building getting built. Yeah. Yeah, just like how they lay That's lay the foundation crazy. and what? you know, like from like a bird view find perspective. Yeah. Night and day. Yeah, exactly. So it was just live, like it was a live feed, like a live stream of a hospital yeah. getting built in one. Wow. Yeah. 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 I, I didn't like watch it. Um, Rachel, yeah. I think you mentioned that there were celebrities that were kind yeah. of talking about they it were, and, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were like it become kind of a you know like a like a social event uh, where celebrity was rallying people to watch it and uh, KOLs as well and um, 
yeah, and people you can see because it's live stream, you can see all those people commenting like mm -hmm. "Go Wuhan," and you know it's just like such a united force, and it was like pretty amazing to see that happen, and also so transparently. Yeah. Um. Even though you know it's just a temporary hospital, but I I have seen pictures of people staying there, and they describe the situation inside there. Um. It's yeah. It. it kind of like a shelter but it's it has all the necessity it's not like super fancy so people um yeah it was able to i think uh control the situation more and become kind of a it's kind of a milestone um i think in this yeah, was. Of us that's actually us. yeah two hospitals that rachel that you oh, mentioned yeah. <laughs> there's and there's actually three uh, i think you were thinking oh. about because you're you're thinking about huoshenshan leishenshan and then fangcang that's three different yeah, hospitals yeah they give it interesting names as well <laughs> yeah. wait hold up hold up so they so they made three hospitals in like less than a month okay so here's right exactly but then here's the thing um, two of them shit. were Two of them were outside of Wuhan as infectious hospitals. And that's yeah. very, very different than the third one, which is much, much bigger as kind of a shelter situation. So mm -hmm. the reason why it was just incredible to watch them build the two hospitals in like nine or 10 days, um, the infectious hospitals too, is because infectious hospitals have very specific requirements and standards and they're not mm. very easy to put together right. and i'm pretty sure no one in history has ever done that but then wow. what that communicated to me when they decided to do that and they did that was the severity of the situation because they wouldn't have to build infectious hospitals if they didn't have so many severe cases of covid19 patients right. Right. and and that is because the hospital because um, not all hospitals are built up to infectious hospital standards and they only have so many beds for um, or uh, quarantine hospital rooms for the patients who need them. And, mm -hmm. and then Wuhan was quickly at capacity, so they quickly made the decision to do that. So regardless of what the numbers they were reporting, and at this point, I don't even remember what numbers they were reporting. I just knew that they were increasing like, yeah. tremendously day by day. Yeah. And they needed that extra capacity, and they needed to build that hospital. So that's yeah. the two hospital, the two infectious hospitals. And then the next one is the Fangcang Hospital. Uh, hospital, which was really used as a central quarantine uh, facility for people who um, are com confirmed COVID-19 patients who are not showing severe symptoms. Mm -hmm. So in Wuhan, I think that they were not allowing people to home quarantine. Uh, after a certain mm -hmm. stage, they realize that, okay, if these people stay home quarantine, they spread it mm -hmm. to their family mm -hmm. and that's just yeah, not going to cut sense. it. And so whoever tested, got tested positive were eventually moved to Fangcang Hospital, uh, the basically the quarantine hospital, not the infectious hospital. The infectious hospital were only used for people who mm -hmm. needed severe care. Um, wow. So, um, so, I mean, yeah. so uh, like, you know, before we started recording we talked about like hey like you know the the numbers in china um is obviously large but the u.s has just surpassed it at the time yeah. of this recording and you yeah. know what were some of the uh yeah. very uh very specific measures that the chinese government has taken i mean according to everything that you are explaining it just sounds like the chinese government was very reactionary like they were very hands-on like 
yo, like they yeah. wouldn't even let people quarantine mm-hmm. themselves at, at home um, after a certain mm-hmm. point. Because in the U.S. right now, um, there's not enough hospital beds and there's not enough ventilators. Yeah. So yeah. unless exactly. you are really like unless you really need to be hospitalized some of the mm-hmm. doctors are even recommending people don't even get checked just yeah. wait it out yeah. at home you know because <laughs> even yeah. if you get checked there's nothing that they can do you know what i mean so but instead like instead of waiting china was just like all right go build two more hospitals <laughs> like yo that's that's pretty crazy that's pretty crazy yeah. you know like i think they learned it the really hard way because in the early days um, I'm sure that New York is experiencing the same, which really pains me to think about that too, that um, hospitals were just yeah. over capacity and medical professionals are just completely mm-hmm. overworked and burnt out. Yeah. And, and then the government, um, all like local governments quickly started sending medical staff and teams mm-hmm. to Wuhan to support the effort. Yeah. And and then I remember reading this one person's story in particular. She oh and then because in the early days, um the hospitals were telling patients to go home quarantine mm-hmm. and the whole family would get infected. Yeah. And it just yeah. wouldn't work anymore like that. Yeah. And I remember reading this one person's story. She um yeah, she got, she started getting sick. And so she was at, she went to the hospital and the hospital couldn't do testing for her in the early days. Mm-hmm. And then she, so she went home and she started putting herself in her own bedroom, quarantining herself and um, uh, away from her family. And then she um, was finally starting to get better and then went back to the mm-hmm. hospital and got tested, got tested positive. Yeah. And, uh, and then at that point, um, I guess it was still early in early days. And then the hospital told her that, okay, since your case is not super severe, you should mm-hmm. just go home. Um, but then um, later on, she, I think went back to the hospital for another checkup. And then that's when I can't remember whether the hospital or her local community workers told her that, actually um you need to mm-hmm. go to the Fantao hospital yeah. and get quarantined mm-hmm. to keep your family safe mm-hmm. oh i think what happened was that she had um she had already recovered her symptoms uh had disappeared and then she went back to the hospital and got tested and t- got tested positive after she had already recovered and um so they started that's when they started i think putting people in in central quarantine together even after they've re- recovered from um so basically mm-hmm. if you got tested positive you need to go get centrally quarantined and mm-hmm. um because you're still carrying the virus and you're sp- yeah. still spreading it and then yeah. because you think you recovered you're gonna go out and do stuff and you're gonna spread it to even more people right right so, right so i mean yeah. i think another point is um how transparent this whole process seems to be because at the uh, initial stages of this whole situation, um, I'm sure there was a lot of fake news that was being circulating and a lot of different information that was being distributed by different people. Because I know like those WeChat group chats, oh, those WeChat group chats gets crazy. And, you know, all these different videos and all of that. So, um, I mean, from what I remember uh, hearing from you guys, actually, uh, when we spoke earlier last week um, was... Uh, you know, you guys said that um, the Chinese government, as soon as this crisis happened, uh, made a, a central uh, HQ, a headquarters where they could decipher the right information compared to the wrong information. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, on WeChat, um, 
is like a big, I guess, a big software where people get informations. And I remember, like, on uh, one of like the top page, they pinned a page where um, I think it's like you can get mm-hmm. timely information. It didn't happen right away. It took a while actually because there are just so many information out there. And every day, um, the tech company Tencent, I think Tencent News, was pushing out mm-hmm. like, you know, every day like. This is uh, true news. This is like false news, and why? Um, it was like a yeah. quick like soundbite about you know what's going on day mm-hmm. by day. Um, mm. You know because like every day there's like false information. Like oh like um, this medicine can heal you, but it's actually right. not. Right. And I remember right, you know, right. checking it at a daily basis. It was like helped me tremendously about um, I guess like even media literacy a little bit more. Um, right. which yeah. I thought it was impressive <laughs> for considering well, like, what the media, mm-hmm. no, what no, the no, Western no. media think what China Chinese news is. Um, right, no, totally. Yeah. yeah, I also remember, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to mention that, um, yeah, I remember just, yeah, I mentioned this before too, that in the early days, there were just so much information and it was fascinating yeah. to see online how some information would surface and then people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is true. <laughs> and then another group of people would just come over and be like, no, this is fake news. And then there's just these, like, I just visualize in my yeah, head these like, shouting matches that were just happening online, like constantly <laughs> everywhere. And yeah, it was really sure. overwhelming. I didn't really know, yeah. like, who do I trust? And, um, and I think it was, Later, during Chinese New Year, I remember that the central government put out uh, basically, um, I don't know what would call it. Um, it basically is um, a portal for people to mm, submit yeah. information. Um, yeah. And they took the measure into control, I think, pretty quickly that there were mm-hmm. just so much information. And, um, and then, yeah, and I... I guess I was really surprised by how they decided to do that. Um, they collected information from the whole freaking country. And like Rachel said, they put together a central, or I think Jakey said it earlier, that they put together a central HQ to process all these information. And I didn't personally submit any information because I wasn't necessarily, I was just home. I wasn't going anywhere. Um, I didn't have information to report. But just that gesture of welcoming the entire country to submit information um, was kind of mind blowing for me. And I guess I had I had made the assumption that the Chinese government, the central government, was just going to do whatever the heck they decided to do. Um, but instead, they opened this portal to hear from the people. And frankly, I don't know how they decided to process the information that were submitted. Um, but at least that what that showed me was that the government was trying to figure out how to provide uh, the right information for people and not right. creating panic uh, through right. just letting just letting false news, fake news spread mm-hmm. rapidly. Right. I mean, I think just to add on to that, like it, it's kind of crazy because um, and Jojo, I'm sure you could comment on this too, because you work for a, an established media company yourself. Um, like, so apparently in the U.S., like back in January, some of these uh, official lawmakers, like uh, government officials, senators, and governors uh, of certain states, they actually knew 
uh, the seriousness of what this is going to happen back in January. And even though if, uh, when they were faced with it, uh, faced with questions about it publicly, they said, nah, it's all good. This is not going to go too crazy. You don't need to wear a mask like we got it under control. And behind the public's back, they were busy selling off their stocks when the U.S. had like some of the best uh, days in, in the stock market in history and back in January. And then it just kind of crumbled in March. So like these guys kind of knew what was going to happen. And now, like, you know, they're being called out. Um, they might even get, who knows, they might get indicted. But um, do you think like something like that level of government corruption during a time of crisis would fly in China? Yeah, there there yeah. is one case I can share. Um, it's uh, Dr. Li Wenliang, uh, who is the whistleblower oh, um, right. in this whole virus situation. And supposedly he reported to the government and the government tell him, you know, to stay low and not saying anything, mm -hmm. where it was probably the beginning of January, but his advice was not taken seriously or being like shushed off. So if we started to act, then people say like, you know, things could got a lot better. And there was kind of a huge social movement where uh, a lot of people paying uh, tribute to Dr. Mm -hmm. Lee. Uh, he later died from the COVID-19 infection. Mm -hmm. So people say, oh, he is the first whistleblower, but the government didn't take it seriously. Um, yeah, that was pretty memorable in terms of... I do recall um, hearing from some of the news that um, there was some acknowledgement by, like, you know, China's, like, federal government, I guess, that, like, we um, that the pressures of local governments, like how local governments have to, because they have to kind of report numbers and the health checks of like their communities back to the federal government. And they were afraid, you know, because they're afraid like, oh my gosh, are we going to lose funding or are we going to get in trouble? They were more shush shush about it. I heard there was some acknowledgement at least from the national, yeah, of like, hey, we know this was why, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the central government was very, very mm -hmm. pissed in the beginning. And so, yeah, Hubei they, and they were pissed at the Hubei. They were pissed yes. at the Hubei officials. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So because the it is so yeah, it is so fascinating, honestly, to look at how all these um, just got laid out and how the system works over here. That mm -hmm. it's this is this is basically the um, shortfalls of the system here in China, that it's a layered system of reporting. And um, mm -hmm. the central government at the very top, which is so, sorry, like I'm kind of going all over the place now, but then I'm just thinking that that's exactly how China worked for thousands of years. Like the central government <laughs> is like the emperor and the emperor in Beijing <laughs> yeah. just don't get any information <laughs> if his officials locally don't report it to him. And so I really hope that, um, and I think that the, the central government learned um, a pretty hard lesson this time yeah. too, that like the system's got to get, changed or yeah. or at least modified because it's just not um it, it worked really well when you have local officials or local government that's doing what they're supposed to do but when like what happened with hubei and wuhan the government officials were just either incompetent or just 
I don't know, a screw got loose in their head. Something mm-hmm. systematically went wrong over there, and they decided to hide the numbers instead of instead of reporting them. And and it's kind of like. I guess it's kind of like a family dynamic that I see too. Like if the central government were like the Chinese parents and <laughs> the kids, you know, like did something really bad or something is going significantly wrong. And then the kids were like, oh shit, I don't know really what to do. Like, do we tell the parents or do we try to like fix it on our own? Okay. Like, I guess we can't really fix it. Like somebody help. Yeah. That's a good um, analogy. Yeah. And, and then people were pissed pissed at the Hubei Wuhan government officials and uh, I think people were like even from the beginning were asking them to step down Um, but the central government decided to keep the officials in their place because they still knew the um, situation the best and it didn't make sense to just swap all of them out and put in like a new government team in place to handle the crisis Uh, but they did pull um, some more, I guess, experienced, competent officials from Shanghai who had experience dealing with SARS. Um, they sent him um, and his team over to Hubei to assist with the situation over there on the ground. Um, yeah, and then and then in terms of corruptions, I haven't really heard anything um, about it, but just from. I guess where I see it, it would be like at this point or during like when it was at the worst, it would be so stupid for any officials to try to do something like that, like to take advantage. Yeah, no, of for the sure, for sure, totally. I feel like the way that the Chinese government at least works, at least from my understanding, is yo, if you get yo, if you get uh, caught with corruption, man. You know, she. What, what do you call? What y'all call Xi Jinping? Like Xi Da Da or something like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. So, is, is that is 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 that it? Is that it? Xi Da Da. Yeah, man. Xi Da Da will fucking. Xi Da Da will probably send you somewhere up in the north, man, where nobody can find you anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. Yeah. Some wild not smart. Yeah, nah, not not a smart move. But um, I think, I, but you know, I, I kind of want to, you know, uh, bring it back to Beijing since that's kind of where you guys are from. And um, uh, Jojo, is there like anything that you might want to add um, since now that we uh, kind of left Wuhan and kind of came back to Beijing where these ladies are? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think we opened with what it's been like for you guys. Um and, and you know how you guys were feeling and everything in the stage that where we are right now. Um, but how is it like um, being in Beijing now that you know China is actually a place where everything's pretty stabilized? Um, maybe there's like whispers of things opening back up, and you know you can you feel like there is that light of the tunnel. Like, do you feel like you guys are closer to normalcy and like? My friends and I are joking about, oh, my gosh, the first day, like, this lockdown's over, like, the bars and restaurants are going to be packed and we're going to get it all over again. Um, how has it been for you yeah. if we would yeah. be able to, like, fast forward time and, and maybe anticipate what it's going to be like coming back from lockdown, like a full shutdown? Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's definitely has been a very mm-hmm. wonderful journey, <laughs> being able to step outside of my home. And I, I mean, I, I tease none, 
all the time. I was like, because <laughs> last week I went to the park and it was like really nice weather outside, and it just like such a good sun breeze. And you see like people taking pictures and really, you know, document this newfound freedom. So, so to say,、um, there are also、um, in the media they have been reporting of so-called revenge spending, where people have been isolated so long and they just. Want to come out and you know spend all their money,、uh, but it's actually not the case,、uh, which I thought is kind of interesting, because after this disaster, a lot of people realize. I think like what's important for them. So we have seen more、uh, savings, and、um, people are not really into irrational spending. Although there are a lot of there's a long line outside of like bubble tea shop and like Apple store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was it's fascinating to see this journey. But definitely there's there have been a sense of like. Kind of、uh, conservative conservatism in terms of like, oh, we should actually be more helpful. Especially now, we're seeing、um, there have been a number of reported、um, imported cases from overseas. So that it's like a pretty serious, and the government is really trying to take control again and again.、Uh, I think there have been talk on like the second wave. Where you know the symptom is not really showing, so how do you protect yourself in that sense? I think it's kind of the next step. People are wondering and thinking while they're on the street. Yeah, I think、um, right now, or it's been a gradual process. So Jojo, totally、mm-hmm. hear what you said earlier about the fear that oh my gosh, once everything, once we can go out, everybody's going to go to bars and restaurants, and then we're going to be screwed.、Um, They make sure that's not going to happen over here.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, it's a really gradual process. So I remember because I um throughout the quarantine, I went out maybe once a week or once every other week to get get grocery, and、uh, grocery stores had been open the whole time. Um,、yeah. and then yeah, I just remember seeing that uh, you know, during the worst days, everything's closed. Grocery stores were the only things that's open, and of course, you have to wear a mask wherever you go, and you have to get your temperature check, temperature check wherever you go. And then、um, when people started, when the first wave of people started going back to work.、Um, Some of the restaurants and、um, like Starbucks and stuff were opening up.、Um, oh, and then also I think during the worst、uh, of the the during the worst time in my area, there was one McDonald that was open, and then they、oh, yeah. had limited hours, and it was normally I think a twenty four seven. McDonald, and、mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, and then when the first wave of people went back to work, a few more McDonalds opened around me. Not all of them were open, and then Starbucks <laughs> started opening up, but then they had limited hours, and then、mm-hmm. you you have to order on your app, and then、uh, you can't, and then you can only go in like one person can only go in at a time to pick up、yeah. uh, the drink, or they would take the drink out for you. Yeah. Uh, and then,、uh, and then bookstores started opening up for limited hours, and then restaurants started opening up for limited hours, and and then, but then you still have to sit away from people, and then they encourage to do takeouts or deliveries、mm-hmm. instead yeah, of dining、sure. in.、Um, and then now, I think that everything is open, but everything closed early, and then you、mm-hmm. still have to wear a mask wherever you go, and、yeah. you still have to get your temperature checked wherever you go. So、um, there's very、hey. there's peop- no, they've ahead, well, they've ahead, learned、sorry. over time the best 
oh yeah, they learn over time what the best practices are and they're following that and then they're just doing it slowly. Um, Parks started opening up, I think in the last week or so, touristy sites are opening up. I cannot wait to go to the Forbidden City. Um, (laughs) And and then they're controlling the traffic. So you have to make a reservation to go into any of these um, supposedly crowded places. Um, Movie theaters are still not opened up. Schools are not opened up yet. Yeah. Got you. So, I mean, so it's, it's been like a gradual process. I mean, even yes. even after three month um, schools and some of these very important social uh, structures has not yet opened up. So um, the country is still experiencing it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Got it's you. not over yet. Got you. Yeah. People are still cautious. Yeah. But thank you so much. I mean, we're just, I feel like this is like an anthropology class, a history class. Um, This is so illuminating and really, really helpful just to like have a peek inside like what it's like to be in China, you know, like dealing a country that's dealing with it so differently. I think hearing all these things, I'm imagining like how it would work here and my head is hurting. Um, So thank you so much for your perspective. But we, you know, as you guys are veterans of being quarantined and you guys made the best of the situation by starting this podcast. um, Also, have you guys been able to see each other now? Um, Have you guys been able to record together? No, I miss miss Rachel. (laughs) I know we have been doing the podcast not together like i feel like it's a big com- accomplishment but we're definitely gonna do the next episode or some other episode together yeah um, it's soon we, we should be able to see each other soon yeah and i want to taste nan's cooking apparently she has oh, yeah, become I got, an awesome I cook oh, over I, the corner i got pretty time. good at cooking <laughs> wait okay I, so did you okay yeah. if you could give us some like i'm Everyone's trying to pick up a new habit right now, whether yeah, it's okay. you know, taking on a baking challenge, you know, if you guys have followed <laughs> Jakey on Instagram, he is, you know, he's definitely cooking up a storm right now. Stay home, eat home is his thing. Um, yeah, it's wh- therapeutic. It, it definitely seems so. You're just like sharpening up a skill. But what are some of tips, like maybe two or three tips that have really helped you get through this quarantine that our listeners can really learn from and be inspired by? Yeah, I I find it's helpful to maintain a normal schedule yeah. um, where you live day by day as if, you know, like you don't go to work, obviously. But I've seen picture where like people standing like in the, their bathroom and holding like the bathroom guard mm-hmm. um, to pretend they're going to the subway. Oh, in yeah. New York. <laughs> those memes have been amazing. Um, yeah, those memes are amazing, but they speak a certain element of truth. Like we're speaking with, uh, again, the podcast guest and she tell us, the psychologist tell us maintain a normal schedule is actually a really helpful way. Mm-hmm. Um and she was like referencing at a time where like it's like earthquake in uh, Wenchuan. And then that's one of the way they keep people like away from like a post-traumatic stress or something. Oh, um, it's wow. like not about like talking to a psychologist, have like the deep soul searching mm-hmm. conversation with your therapist. But it's actually people playing Mazyang together. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, which is pretty incredible. So make sure, I guess, like staying connected with your friend and checking yeah. in with each other to make sure each other are maintaining a normal schedule. Mm-hmm. Don't throw your win- like time window away and <laughs> just say, oh, I'm going to, you know, like 
binge watch Netflix or anything. I know it's pretty hard, and I did it like、yeah. <laughs> pretty frequently. Oh, you have to. Yeah. When well, else to binge? <laughs> <laughs> the only well, time we're、yeah. allowed to binge. I know,、yes. right? Okay, I take that back. So please binge. <laughs> binge if you want to binge. Feel like. I binge on good show. Don't like you know like. Well, yeah. Anyway, I won't go on tangent、mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> Sounds like Rachel has been burnt from binging、mm, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> So definitely yeah, don't I have to schedule. I I told I just to add、yes. on my little thought. Like I in the first week, I would kind of like roll out of bed and then log onto my computer, and I would like not turn on my video chats for all of my calls because I'm like I look terrible right now and I have pajamas on. <laughs> But, and my、yeah. friend gave me the tip of like you know just try to like brush your hair. <laughs> And like you know, you don't have to put makeup on, but just like you know, maybe like wear a sweater or like you know, ma- act like you're working. And I, ca-、yeah. it's really started、yeah. helping me of just like okay, I'm not going anywhere, but putting on like you know, work clothes at least from the waist up. It definitely helped me feel more like I'm taking breaks throughout the day and breaking it up a little bit instead of staying、yeah. in the same pajamas in twenty four hours. Yeah, I think totally, it's just、totally. like you know, live it day by day because we don't know when is it gonna end. So just seize the day and、um, yeah, make the best out of it and just live in the moment if you can. I know it sounds easy to say that, but it took me two months to actually learn that.、Um, no,、nah, for but, sure.、Yeah. I think I think all those points like I agree with you. So. First and foremost, maintain a normal schedule.、Mm-hmm. Uh, stay connected and check in. And、uh, last but not、mm-hmm. least, maybe、uh, sharpen a new skill set that maybe you are too、yeah. busy to uh, to uh, work on. So I think those are important, important, very important、um, suggestions because、uh, one of the concerns that a lot of people are talking about. I mean, the irony is for New York at least is that uh, uh, food and beverage businesses.、Uh, Are not shut down, so as a result, a lot of liquor stores are still open.、Mm-hmm. Like I mean, all the、oh. liquor stores are still open. So a lot、mm-hmm. of people, at least,、uh, it's not officially reported yet, but you know, just from observing social media, they're like having day drinks,、uh, get get they're they're essentially just getting drunk like at home,、uh, you know, throughout the day.、Mm-hmm. It's five o'clock、uh, man, somewhere. I, I, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And、um, I, I'm just kind of concerned that you know. Uh, without having some level of focus, like, and especially now with a lot of people losing their jobs,、uh, at least、uh, in in the U, like in New York, some numbers have reported that since the beginning of this crisis officially taking place,、um, about eighteen to twenty percent <laughs> job loss、uh, in New York City、yeah. alone. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a serious time right now. So I think、yeah. these type of quarantine and social distancing tips. Are、uh, should should keep people stay focused, you know, help people stay focused. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think the one more tip to add on what you just said, Jakey, is to stay connected with family and friends, and not only for your own, you know, sanity, but also for support of each other. I think. From talking with our podcast guests and、um, talking with each other, and from our experience,、um, yeah, working on the podcast and something that I learned in this, and it's it's getting really it's it's really sinking in, which is 
this is really it's it's a tremendous challenge and a crisis and a disaster for、mm-hmm. our world, and it poses a tremendous opportunity for us to think more intentionally and consciously、yeah. of how we want to be, who we want to be, and how we can support each other. And in my, I think on on my worst days. Um, what has really helped me always and gave me like a, just a boost of energy is always thinking about how can I support other people, what can I do for others, whether if it's my parents or、mm. my communities in the U.S. or through the podcast.、Um, yeah, and then even you know coming on to. The podcast with you guys today,、um, it's yeah, for、sure. like coming from a place of how can I be in service of、yeah. other people has always shifted、um, my energy and attention away from feeling sorry for myself or feeling stuck where I am. No, that's so great, and it resonates with me so much because. I told you guys a little bit, but I've been really down and in, in this whole quarantine experience. But I think it's because I'm realizing that I use to kind of run away from my feelings or distract myself from my problems by maybe going out with my friends and you know, going to bars and you know filling my schedule with things to do、um, and not kind of avoiding. The whole like let's sit and reflect about my wants and desires and my problems, <laughs> and because I can just fill it up with all these things I can do to do instead. But when you are forced to sit down alone with your thoughts, <laughs> a lot of things starts coming out. And one thing I realized that I was doing was. Um, I was just, I just kept thinking about、um, things that would make me happy, in terms of like, oh, if I, you know, get promoted, or I'll be happy, or like, oh, when I go to this thing, I'll be happy, and like all that stuff. Instead of just like focusing on just being happy in stillness, you know, as you talk about and what your podcast is about, it's、mm-hmm. like be still, slow down, and find happiness within yourself instead of pouring yourself into these other things because it could so easily be taken away. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. The way one way I find it helpful to approach the situation is to imagine yourself looking back to the time and what kind of period you want it to be, what how you want to be remembered, and yourself. You know, like, do you want it to be like a time? You know,、mm-hmm. being a trustworthy friend by by your friend's side, and like. How you want to remember? How would you like put it on the album?、Um, yeah, and and I've been just super grateful of doing the podcast together with Nan because it's like, I mean, I like I personally had a lot of doubt if like <laughs> if we can like pull this off, really do、mm-hmm. this. But I think, yeah, but I think it's like such a beautiful way to elevate the friendship. And to spread、It、the、is. energy to other people, and like looking back, just like one that one thing alone, I'm like, damn, I'm like so proud、mm-hmm. of myself for like staying in at home and like, like actually do this with like a passion project with、yeah. my friend,、um, and it becomes like a happy memory. It's not like depressed or anything. I'm not saying to run away from the unhappy、mm-hmm. memory. 
but to actually leverage that, use that energy to like feel some of your intention thoughts that it have been sitting mm-hmm. so long within you and to let it bloom. You I know? love that. Let it bloom. Let it come out more. That's not such a Let it bloom. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> nah, for real, for real. Nah, definitely. Um, that's that's actually very poetic, and I think a lot. What a lot of people don't understand about um some of these Asian cultures, especially China and Korea and Japan, like yo, we got a lot of history, and in in our language, there's a lot of uh, poetic uh, wordings mm-hmm. and phrases that uh, it's. I think a, a regular American or a regular English speaker, it might just kind of go over their yeah. heads. You know what I mean? Uh, so nah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Let it bloom. Let your let your mind <laughs> bloom. Stay home. <laughs> and by the way, by the way, I mean I've been working from home on and off pretty much all throughout my twenties. So, like this is not really affecting me emotionally uh, much. Let's say per se, but um, I think um, just the overall impact that is having on our world is uh, is definitely unprecedented. So, uh, having positivity and having good people around you, picking up some new skill sets. I think it's definitely going to keep us in the right trajectory. So on that note, um, I'd like to say thank you, Rachel and uh, Nan, for joining mm-hmm. us all the way from Beijing. You know what I mean? Thank you. Thank you, That's kind of how, how, <laughs> how you got to pronounce everything out in Beijing, you know? Yeah. So um, okay, tell us a little bit about uh, where we could find your uh, podcast, though. Oh, uh, so it's a uh, Mandarin podcast um Ooh. and you can find us actually on itunes uh yeah oh, so i guess yeah i can give the chinese character for you guys but it's called zi you, zi zai. uh zi the you, literal zi zai. meaning is yeah zi you, zi zai is to um how do you translate that i still haven't found like a good way it's to... um it basically means um mm. freedom Freedom. And so yeah. zi you means freedom and zi zai. Mm-hmm. This is I this is why I love Chinese and I love this word, this phrase. <laughs> um yeah. because you know, like Rachel talked about it in the beginning that the purpose for our podcast is um about, you know, searching for freedom or trying to understand what freedom means for everybody through mm-hmm. the lens of building self-awareness and yeah. um, self-consciousness. And the word freedom in Chinese is ziyo. So the first two characters of our podcast and zi means self. So it's fascinating to me that the word freedom has in Chinese has self in it. And then zi zai, mm-hmm. um, means like the literal translation would be like self now or self like to, to um, be, being yeah, yeah being yourself yeah. and yeah so that's what our podcast the, that's what our podcast is yeah. called and and i yeah. think like as um as we talk about how there's a clash of individualism and collectivism happening between us the west and the east um, maybe, you know, maybe things are not that straightforward or clear cut. You know, I think as we have been talking about, there have been a rise of individualism within China. And it's not as like, oh, I want to do what I want to do, but it's more about like looking within kind of an intro perspective, which is another way, I think, of individualism. Um, and how yeah, do we nah, use this sure. collective energy? Yeah, so it's it's kind of been interesting um, to 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 think about in that lens. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. If if anything, JoJo Zio Tzai could be mm. loosely translated as cosmic liberty. Cosmic. So I know, I know. Um, yeah, not nah, for real. So I mean, I know she. Thank you, Jojo. Love JoJo Cosmo. loves the word cosmos. You know what I mean? She loves. Oh. She, she, she loves to shout that out. So. So once again, uh, I'd like to thank Rachel and Nan for joining us all the way from Beijing. Make sure you check out Zuyo Zizai on Apple Podcasts. It's a Mandarin podcast. Um, these two ladies, uh, you know, they lived in New York for a little bit, decided to go back to their motherland, China, and they're doing their thing. They survived COVID-19 crisis, um, at least the first phase. Hopefully there is not a second phase, but if there's a second phase, I know we'll all persevere. Um, with that said, six ninety nine per pound podcast. This has been a special part of the special series, Last Call. Um, you could check out all our other other episodes on uh, Spotify, iTunes. You know where to go. You already know if you've been listening this far. Follow six ninety nine per pound on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the latest. And you can now support us by buying me and JoJo a three dollar coffee. <laughs> at coffee.com what a steal you know what i'm saying slash 6.99 per pound and on top of that you know you can now support us monetarily by setting up a small monthly donation anchor.fm slash 6.99 per pound slash support you know what i mean Woo, peace. So, yo holla at your boy and holla at your girl all right 6.99 per pound podcast we out of here peace hey yo it's 6.99 per pound podcast